Welcome to Machine Minds, where technology and humanity meet. I'm your host, Greg Tarusian, founder of Samson Rose, a recruiting and search business focused on the robotics and AI industries. The Machine Minds show is where we dive deep into the intricate world of robotics and artificial intelligence. As a staffing industry leader with a passion for the frontiers of technology, I'm pleased to be bringing you intimate conversations with the founders, investors, and trailblazers who are at the heart of the AI and robotics revolution. In each episode, we dig into their journeys, the applications of the products they're working on, and the breakthroughs that are shaping our future. Join us as we explore how these machine minds are transforming the way we live, work, and understand our world. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a tech enthusiast, or just curious about this amazing field, you'll learn something new with each episode. Let's delve into the extraordinary. Let's delve into machine minds. And in today's episode, we have CEO of Vibu, Buck Jordan. Thanks for being here, Buck. No, thanks for having me, Greg. It's uh, really great to have you on here. I've known Buck for many years, worked together in a number of capacities. So glad I could get you on the show as one of the early people. So um, yeah, let's jump into it. So Buck, I'm going to pass it over to you now just to, to give a little bit of an overview of yourself, your role, and also as well as being CEO of Vibu, your president and co-founder of Miso Robotics, which is very relevant for the listeners and, and the industry. So please tell us a bit more about you and uh, the roles that you're involved with. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do a little bit of background. You know, my background mostly comes from venture. Um, so I deployed about $150 million across a number of companies, uh, mostly in the AI, robotics, and uh, we ended up trending pretty heavily in, this, in the food space. And, um, you know, really with the, uh, the last dollars of my venture fund, um, kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, I founded uh, Miso Robotics. And so Miso Robotics is a uh, industrial robotic arm in the back of a quick serve restaurant. Uh, specifically, it does it operates the fryer and does a few other tasks in the back of house that um, you know most people um, don't want to do, or many brands find find difficult to staff and continue you know having staff uh, stay there. Um, you know, but wh- while I was there, um, I really uh, you know I've, I've really been obsessed with with the challenge of automation as it applies to the restaurant industry. Because the restaurant industry is is under a massive amount of strain, um, you know we've all been reading about you know what happened to what what's happening to labor in in the restaurant space. You know people are are introducing twenty two dollar an hour labor laws for quick serve restaurants in California, and and uh, you know and these labor laws are starting are generally starting on the coast, marching towards the center of the country, um, really destroying restaurant business models along the way, and. Um, you know, it, it really occurred to me in 2016 when I founded Miso Robotics that um, that that could all be changing soon. Um, you know, first of all, I, I think there's no there's it's not going to be cool again to work in the back of McDonald's. Um, it's going to be challenging to, for these brands to continue to expand and even operate um, in this labor environment. You know, we're we're set over the next 10 years to be missing three million people from the U.S. restaurant workforce, um, which is really an unrecoverable uh, problem. And so the industry must must automate. And so I think that um, in 2016, uh, what I was seeing is that um, there was a dramatic, uh, I think, decrease of the cost, similar to Moore's law, where you know um, the cost of computing goes down every every couple of years. Um, you know, the cost of robotics was also going down significantly. And so I I had anticipated that um, uh, because. A robotic arm used to cost in 2016, like before 2016, used to cost like north of 100000 $100, dollars. In 16, it was something around sixty, seventy thousand dollars a piece. You know, today, it's eight thousand dollars unit volume of one direct from Shenzhen. 
you know, Shenzhen wins when it comes to mass manufacturing. Um, and so, and then, you know, concurrently with that, uh, the quality of computer vision uh, has been going up and the cost of computer vision has been going down at the time. Um, well, I don't know if exactly at that time, but there was, um, you could buy an Intel RealSense camera for $200 and tell the difference between an apple and an orange and a pear and volumetric data so you can grab it. So all of a sudden, um, what, you know, you've got a massive problem and that is labor in the restaurant space and in the restaurant space has no ability to solve it themselves because robotics is very, very challenging, you know, kind of discipline skill set. Um, you know, but you, uh, we basically saw like a, a decreasing cost of hardware, decreasing cost of compute and, and decreasing cost of computer vision. And so all this means is that is that a once very expensive um, automation challenge to be solved through robotics can, can be solved much cheaper and become, starts to become more like a software solution. It's a little bit more scalable, you know, $8,000 arm versus $100,000 arm. Um, and so that, that thesis really, um, really kind of captivated me in terms of uh, a direction to kind of really sink my, a lot of my life and effort into. And um, while I was running Miso Robotics, I was really constantly up, constantly inundated by some of the biggest brands in the world, um, cold emailing our website. And Miso happens to have a, probably one of the biggest brands in food robotics. Um, you know, but like any startup, we have to focus and we have a product set that we need to complete and, you know, push out into the market. Um, and so, so I left Miso Robotics. I found a, found a CEO um, who I think can scale a business better <laughs> and then left Miso Robotics to start uh, Vibu, which is where I spend most of my time today. Vibu is short for venture builder. And so what we do at Vibu is we um, engage with large brands, um, brands that you know and eat at uh, many, you know, once a week maybe. <laughs> um to build bespoke robotics uh, for them. Um, and so it's not really a consulting capacity. We're really a, a kind of an interesting kind of product shop where we'll secure a very large customer up front, then we'll build the products. And then uh, of course we know that there's a buyer for it uh, because that customer has paid us millions of dollars to build it and non-recurring engineering to build that product. Um, so, you know, our mission here at Vibu is really to automate the supply chain of food from seed to fork. Um, we're really focused on back of house, not so much agriculture right now. Um, one day we might go to ag. Um, but uh, the thesis really is that um, when you focus in robotics, in, in a discipline in robotics, in an industry food, um, you end up um, having a lot of build it once, use it twice. And so development can be a lot faster and more efficient. Um, and so that's what I'm doing today. It's just crazy. Uh, probably 200 people across both companies, um, crazy robot shop and uh, just focus on food. It's really awesome. Really awesome. And yeah, the the, the food tech space is obviously really hot at the moment and very relevant for applying robotics and AI. So yeah, it's interesting timing in the market, isn't it? With that the prices coming down, as you said, and it becoming a lot more accessible, it just means that the feasibility of re re revenue being generated, but also profit um, from the investment in those restaurants is combined with these prices, like the hourly wages going up, it just makes sense. There's no it's a non, it's a no brainer <laughs> basically. Yeah. And food costs have gone up 30, 30% over the past two years too. So everything's squeezing yeah. these restaurants. Um, and at some point consumers are not gonna be able to pay it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess this is one of the only ways to try and bring that down a little bit, you know, manage costs because the margins are so small already in restaurants. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, you know, one of our, one of our challenges is, is building robotics, uh, that's affordable enough to be, be able to fit into these low wage work into be able to, to be able to replace low wage workers. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of people kind of like kind of shy away from the word replace, you know, cause it's the, they took our jobs, you know, kind of argument. Right. But 
but these jobs are not being filled. <laughs> you know, there's six billion dollars of, um, of of wages of automatable jobs that are not filled today in the United States, uh, in in the food space. Um, so there's just a huge, huge un, unfilled, unfilled, unmet d- demand, and a lot of the jobs that that we focus on first are the jobs that people really don't want to do. Like for instance, uh, you know, dishwashing. Um, the average dishwasher quits in 42 days. You know, wow. we, you know, the average uh, person who operates a fryer, if it's only the job, the, the sole job they do, is like 60 days. You know, because these are tough jobs. You know, like it, it's not easy to stand above a boiling vat of oil for eight hours for a whole shift. Um, and and you know, the restaurants have trouble staffing them, and and generally speaking, people don't don't need to, don't want to do them. And a robot can do it better. And so, um, you know, th- th- there is um, a, an increasing quality of life for the average um, quick serve restaurant worker, I think, it, you know, with automation. Yeah, you think about the the risk as well, operating a fryer all day or, uh, you know, working in those sort of temperatures, the, the burns you get or the, the damage that it can uh, impact other people in there as well. No one wants to do that <laughs> all day, every day. Yeah, I mean, I mean in, insurance goes down. Uh, you know, quality insurance costs go down. I mean, you know, quality, consistency, right. and speed of service um, goes mm-hmm. up, or all improves rather. And your turnover, your staff turnover reduces. I mean, yeah, significantly. The, the industry average is one hundred forty-four percent, which I don't know what that is. Like anywhere from like eight to nine months, you you turn over the entire staff. Like that's horrendous, you know. But if you really kind of like peel back the data. Um, you know, you've got a dishwasher who quits in 42 days, you know, so like, there's some outliers that really affect that, like, you know, eight, nine month turnover. Um, and if you start taking those outliers out, which people don't want to do generally, or don't want to do those kind of kind of jobs, then all of a sudden, like that eight, nine month, you know, cur- turnover average goes, goes to 10 to 12, and it becomes more sustainable. Definitely, definitely. So talk to me a bit about some of the, the challenges. Um, you mentioned there already briefly, but some of the challenges with these disruptive technologies or bottlenecks that you've seen or can foresee for you guys. Well, I'll talk about it in my industry. You know, so I, I think the the food industry is pretty um, like they all know they need to change. They're all like, you know, they will all, they all pick up my phone. Like biggest brands in the world will, will take my call because they know they got a problem. Um, but the industry is just really really slow to adopt. And, you know, think about it, like these companies run kitchens with normal kitchen equipment. And all of a sudden we're putting like an advanced robotic arm in the back of it and having it work with humans, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit, there's a lot of change management. So I think that like the pace of, of rollout is just generally slower than I think anyone in the tech industry would like. And so I think that's a challenge. I think that there's also some structural challenges to my industry um, because, and I'm specifically talking about the franchise uh, aspect to, to, to the restaurant space. Um, you know, starting in the 60s and 70s, the entire industry went to as high of high, you know, 90% plus franchising as fast as they humanly could. And the reason why is pretty, pretty understandable. You know, it, it's, um, it's basically because, you know, to open a, a restaurant costs anywhere from, depending on the brand, you know, costs anywhere from half a million to $3 million. That's a lot. And, and, and then, and then whoever owns that, that restaurant has to, manage dozens of people on and off a shift. It's like a huge operational issue. It's a huge capital issue. And if you're a big brand and you need to, you, and you want to grow three, 4,000 stores over the next five years, like multiply that by half a million to one to, to $3 million, depending on how much it costs to build your store. And that's a lot of cash, you know? So 
so the industry is 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 really um, trapped in this kind of franchise model because they've already they've, they've got existing brands. You can't get out of the franchise laws are very very powerful, and the franchisees in many ways, and it depends on the, which brand you're talking about. The franchisees kind of run them in, in many ways, like they're the ones who make the purchase decisions. But so so our our challenge is always uh, you got to sell to corporate because the corporate you know sets brand standards, and then you have to then double sell it to the franchisees. And sometimes the franchisees are, are like are like yelling at the corporate, hey, where are my robots? And sometimes the corporate is like, no, this is the right thing to do. And you got to talk, talk the franchisees, franchisees into doing it. Um, and so there's a, there's a little bit more friction than in a typical company, a typical sales process. Um, I may have gone off the rails there, Greg, but there you go. No, no, no. That sounds, yeah, it's very interesting, actually. I didn't think about that because you're obviously the, the, your customer base in fast food restaurants is going to be a lot of franchises, but I didn't think about the element of selling to corporate first because they have to set that standard or some, I, I guess it's like in any business coming from the top down, if you can sell to the, the founder, the CEO, and then they're going to implement that standard or that tool or process or whatever it may be same way in this, but you, then you have to resell it to them. So yeah. who actually swallows that cost? Is it the actual franchisee? Yeah. I mean, I mean like, you know, so in terms of R and D, you know, it's, it's the corporate who will do that, but you know, but in terms of the mm-hmm. fran- but the franchise has got to be the one who buys the, buys the product, you know, right. um, which, which also starts to impact how we're able to charge. Um, you know, uh, most, most franchise operations, like some are billion dollar operations. They got a lot of cash and, and, but many, mm-hmm. many are mom and pops or, or small operations that really can't afford that are running razor thin margins and they really can't afford to drop a significant amount of money on an advanced, you know, um, robot in the back of their back of their house, you know, so, so they have, so, so that this really pushes the entire industry towards, you know, robots as a service or a SaaS, you know, where it's just a monthly fee, um, mm. which is, which is frankly good in a lot of ways. Good because it, um, it, uh, increased the quality of the startups revenue. Cause you know, recurring revenue always gets a higher multiple on exit. Um, you know, but also it kind of puts more strain on those, startups because they have to be- carry the burden of cash and having to build these things. And so there is a right. big opportunity in financing these, all, this kind of wave of robotics that's coming into the restaurant industry, I think. So talk me through how this would work. So in theory, the big brand might reach out to you or you reach out to them. They have an interest in automating part of their kitchen um, activities. They will work with you on an R and D capacity to develop that product and then they have to push that down to their franchisees they'll set the standards say this is something we've invested in or something we're interested in and then now it's the pricing model you talked about how that would actually be carried through and implemented yeah that's right and 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 we're also in in, in highly franchised sorry i cut you off but like in in, in highly yeah. franchised um you know businesses and brands um there is an opportunity to change the quality of their revenue you know, because, because they get, you know, generally speaking, five points off the top, <laughs> you know, the revenue. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, there's, there's an opportunity to kind of bring them in on the products. It's like they, they pay us all the R and D fees to, to build it. We end up owning the IP and uh, then we have to manufacture, distribute and sell these things into their system, but we need their help, um, doing it, <laughs> you know, like we need their help selling it through. And, and there's an opportunity for them to not just take a, five points off the top, but to get a little bit of SaaS revenue, which as we know, has a really great, uh, you know, enterprise value effect when it comes to valuations of the company. Right. 
Which leads me to the next point that I, I want to talk to you about is um, about exit strategies, if if at all. I know it's pretty early, but we had some pretty interesting offline conversations and from all of these big brands and external interest you're getting, it sounds like there's multiple options here. So can we talk a little bit about exit? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I th- I think that this is th- the best. This is an incredible opportunity. Um, you know, the the need for automation in the food space is just is astronomical, um, and it's not going away anytime soon. I mean, if you if you look at um, just the demographics of the world, um, the world's getting gray really quick. Um, you know, quick stat in the United States. The United States is pretty healthy when it comes to the demographic. When it comes to the developed twelve countries in the world, but even the United States is looking pretty dire. You know, so a quick stat in 2010, um, the ratio of working age adults to retired adults was 4.4 to one. In 2060, 50 years later, uh, it's projected to be 2.2 to one. So half the number of people, you know, so what does that mean? That means that, you know, first of all, who's gonna make the burgers? That means that um, a hell of a lot more um, of a society's productive capacity is gonna be going towards, um, you know, buying depends and insure for old people. You know, and as opposed to being invested into new technology development and, um, and you know, what have you. And, and of course, the the um, the labor market is going to is going to you think we're, we got trouble now. We got major trouble in the decades to come. And so this leads me to like exit opportunities. And so so this is a capability, you know, robotics in the food space. This is a capability that a lot of people need to have. Um, you know, we've received interest from brands, large brands to acquire us. We've received very interest from other kind of startups in the kitchen space to acquire us um, because this is a hard capability to build and a really important one that's going to last for, for decades. Like I, I think I've got decades um, to build this company, um, you know, but some people who need to need to acquire us are really um, I think the, the existing kitchens, kitchen equipment suppliers. Um, these are the people who own my customers today, the people who make the um, sea of undifferentiated stainless steel product in the back of house. I'm talking about the stoves, the fridges, um, the, the stainless steel tables, you know, but the future is automated. It's driven by computer vision, AI, and robotics. And these guys make bent stainless steel sinks. And so that, I think they desperately need to acquire our capability. Um, you know, so I think that there's, there's brands who want to buy us. There's existing people in the, in the infrastructure who want to buy, in the ecosystem who want to buy us. And I actually think that there is a really good, um, uh, uh, path to going public you know, because you know one one really interesting thing about Miso Robotics is that we've raised 90 million plus from crowdfunding and so that which is crazy it's one of the biggest in the world and so but what does that really mean right you know so that means or one of, the, one of the takeaways the conclusions of that are that we've done an incredible job of being able to explain to the retail investor um, what AI is you know in a very short snippet right um, and if I'm going to explain what artificial intelligence is to a retail investor, I'm going to need an hour in, in a normal text. But, you know, robot flipping burger, people get it and they understand yeah. the use case. And so I think that um, in the event that we're able to one day go public, I think that there's a good opportunity, good potential that we would have um, a very um, – uh, we would have we would trade at a premium. Because if you want to – today, if you want to bet on the future of automation or the future of the food industry being automation, automated – uh, who do you put your money into? Forget about the food industry, just automation in general being a future. Like, where do you put your money? It's not Google, Facebook, Amazon. All that's too diluted with other, with other kind of revenue. What's the pure play bet? There really isn't one today. There's some warehouse companies, you know, but um, 
you know, this is going to be a huge, um, huge business. You know, right now we're working with some of the best, the best and biggest, um, highest quality brands out there in the food space. I think if you um, give us a couple of years to get more product out there, out there in the market, get more revenue, I think there's a really good opportunity to get an IPO. Amazing. Amazing. And then couple that with the RAS model as well. If you've got that re recurring revenue plus these partnerships, I mean, again, no brainer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a lot of work between here and there, but um, you yeah. know, from your lips to SEC's ears. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what happens. Yeah. And um, I know that another part of what Vibu does, you and let me just talk about this high level, but you've got some uh, investments as well that you make uh, mm -hmm. as part of it. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, so, so, so we do make, um, you know, selective investments. Um, we, we generally have a group of investors who love to kind of co-invest with us, especially when it comes to automation and robotics, you know, um, one company we, we recently led the, um, the seed round in, um, was, uh, uh, serve robotics. So serve oh, robotics, cool. super cool company. Um, mm. Uh, it's a sidewalk delivery robot, you know, span out of Uber, um, you know, cause it'll span out of, uh, Uber Postmates rather. Um, it was, a, it was a Postmates project that Uber, Uber acquired when they acquired Postmates. Um, and you know, turns out, um, a huge number of, of orders is delivered within two square, two mile radius of the restaurant. Right. And so if you deliver on a sidewalk, well, one, you're taking a very, um, polluting and expensive, an inefficient car and a human off the road. So you're kind of decreasing traffic. It's better for ESG purposes, but also the, the, the food gets delivered on time. I mean, how many times have you um, ordered, ordered food and to be there in 30 minutes and like an hour, an hour and 15 minutes later, you finally get your thing. You know, like, yeah, I, I got tripped by Uber. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst, you know, but like this thing delivers on time because there's not a lot of traffic on, on sidewalks and it's, and it's a level four autonomy, uh, uh, company, which basically means that like it's cameras off the robot is driving on the sidewalk. And then a human has to zoom in when it has to cross an intersection, you know, a dangerous place. And one day that'll be automated too. Um, sorry, I, I went down a, down a deep rabbit hole, but like um, we, we invest in companies like that, um, that have big visions and are, have a defensible robotic or AI kind of moat. Amazing. Amazing. So bigger picture opportunities that you see for AI, robotics, big data, computer vision in the food tech space. Is there anything that you see further down the line that you haven't even started working on yet or that, you know, North star vision where you want to be. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got, I've got a vision for the future of the kitchen. I mean, I mean, first of all, like kind of near term, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for, um, for our, for AI to, to come in and, and really increase the quality consistency of, um, of food that's being prepared, you know, because like all this food is being prepared by, um, you know, an entry level worker who has had a minimal amount of training and again, remember they quit in 42 days or nine months, depending on what kind of what role they're they're in, right? So they never actually get a chance to get really good at things, because it's they, because in general they they quit too soon, um, you know. So so I think that there's that there's an opportunity to kind of use AI to to remove the cognitive load on a lot of these these workers, like tell them what to do when when to do it to make sure quality consistency is is good, and people check them along the way. So a lot of really interesting computer vision uh, solutions that are kind of focused on that. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a big opportunity for data in the back, the back of house, you know, like people, you know, one of our clients gave us this great quote. They said, um, our data, um, stops at the, uh, at the loading dock. In other words, when they receive the food in the back and they pick it up at the POS, the, the, the point of sale system, but they have no idea what happens in between, you know? And so they have to kind of like guess and interpolate. Right. So I think that's going away 
And I, I think there's an ability for like kind of data to come out that's actually quite actionable um, in a number of areas. Um, and then, you know, but, but I would say that in terms of uh, big changes to the kitchen space, I think that um, over the next five, six years, there's going to be um, companies like Misa Robotics who are taking a cobotics, cobotic approach, which means humans and robots working together. And, you know, they'll come in, they'll take out the fryer, they'll take out the drink station, maybe maybe some other other tasks, but humans still working in and around um, the robots. But I think that, you know, kind of year five or six, you're, you're going to start to see a proliferation of um, fully autonomous restaurants. And what does it mean to be fully autonomous, right? So it means your, your menu has been sacrificed or designed to be fully autonomous because there's just things, some things robots can't do. Like I'm not going to sprinkle that little piece of parsley on a thing or, <laughs> or whatever. Um but it's worth this. The juice is worth the squeeze because because what do you get when you when you go full auto? That means you don't have to build a very expensive kitchen with permitting and like you still have permitting, but like it's a different kind of thing. You don't have to build a like gas and like hoods and like exhaust and you know what have you. Um, and you don't need to need to manage dozens of people on and off shift. You've got probably got one person who could be from Cisco or some other supplier who comes in, supplies the uh, you know kind of refreshes the machine in terms of like restocks it and cleans it like once a day. Um, and of course, you know, we're in this delivery era where so much is, is delivered. And so who cares who made it if you're not going in to enjoy the ambience? Like there's always going to be a market for like, I want to go and have a nice meal and sit down. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. There's going to be this proliferation of fully autonomous restaurants where, you know, you could have a, um, uh, you know, someone serving a incredible orange chicken in a, in more of more like an expanded v, you know, uh, vending machine, <laughs> um, you know, or a kiosk, um, you know, sitting next to a Panda Express and the food coming out of that kiosk will be higher quality, fresher, and it won't have any labor and it won't have um, any real estate costs. So you'll be paying like a more month to month kind of kiosk thing, but not like a five year yeah. lease, no tenant improvement. Um, so there, and, and of course that, that vending machine or kiosk, whatever is going to be serving that food at higher quality at half the price. And so there's going to be a revolution, I think coming at some point. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you touched on a great point there um, with if you're delivering, you don't really care where it's come. From. And you see the same thing with ghost kitchens and stuff like that. Yeah. If it hasn't come directly from the restaurant, it doesn't really matter. So you're getting the same food or better food. It's just about the quality and timing and uh, the product, really. Yeah. Well, well, look, this is great. Uh, thanks again for your time, Buck. I'll just uh, wrap up here with some summary notes that uh, I think most listeners, most people should be really excited about having more automation in the restaurant space. We've talked to a number of people on this show in the space, and we could just see huge benefit in terms of quality, consistency, price, and uh, the, the opportunities for the owners, the franchisees in this point, the restaurant owners, and then obviously the, the, back, the back office, back of restaurant uh, workers as well. The, the convergence of the cost coming down and availability of the technology is huge and it just seems like you guys are in the right place at the right time and have been doing all of the foundational and groundwork to be here so I'm really excited to see what happens in the yeah, future well, thanks for helping us get here Greg it's been great to work yeah. with you no my pleasure so where, where can the uh, listeners find out more about you about Vibu and Miso you can go to misorobotics.com or vibulabs.com perfect thanks Buck Take yeah. care.